This is mutual. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. The Devil's Pinata, read by the author John Bell. This segment begins with chapter 17, so I'm assuming that you have not read any of the earlier chapters, otherwise you never would have made it this far, in which case you really don't need to know what's happened before now. So let's just dive right in, shall we? Good luck. Chapter 17 Laszlo Sinobovich, who, for those who may have forgotten, is the leader of Babenstan and the mastermind behind the mysterious Doomsday device, was not in the mood for bad news, especially if it interrupted his drinking. Meanwhile, outside the door, several cabinet members were drawing straws to decide who would be the one to go in and tell him the bad news, for which he was not in the mood. The Minister of Acquiring American Reality Shows for Use in Torture Chambers drew the short straw. Why did I do that? he lamented. I had a nice big sheet of paper. Why did I draw my straw so short? But it was too late. The brave man was shoved through the door, which slammed shut behind him. Laszlo looked up drunkenly. Who enters my chamber of much royalty? he asked. It is just a humble messenger, the humble messenger humbly mumbled, come to bring news to his excellent, high, wonderful, forgiving, sweetie, even-tempered, life-loving, exalted one. Laszlo glanced around slowly. Then it dawned on him. You mean me? he asked. Yes, oh, generous one. Okay, now that that is settled, what is message? The humble messenger swallowed hard. He tried to shrink down to microscopic size and escape by running amongst the nap of the carpet until he found some magical rug lice who would place him on a flying dust speck that would fly him far, far away to the land of talking bunnies where he would start a carrot farm and be comfortable for the rest of his life instead of about to be shot by a drunken megalomaniac. No such luck. It's... it's... Stop being humble and spit it out, Laszlo commanded. Huh? It's the final piece of your wonderful thing that you've been building. Ah, yes, the culmination of a lifelong dream. Woe be unto anybody who brings me news that alters the progress of my plan. So, what news do you bring me? The humble servant's mouth turned drier than the British sense of humor. He managed to eke out... Laszlo's eyes darkened, his brow furrowed, his nose ran. Are you saying that the final piece of my device has been stolen? Ack, ack, ack. A man and a woman? They beat up all five of my men? Took the last piece? The switch of doom? Ack. Laszlo stood unsteadily on his feet. He stumbled over to the wall and removed a large, heavy, and apparently very sharp, for he accidentally sliced off his necktie, sword that was on display. He held it at chest level, slicing the tie even more, as he advanced on the humble servant. 
Is this the news that you bring me? he shouted. The humble servant was on his knees, shivering with fear, all thoughts of a life with talking bunnies flying off into the ether. Yes, he croaked. Oh, dear, he thought. Laszlo stood over the servant, raised the sword high over his head, neatly cleaving the blades of the ceiling fan in twain, and brought it down. He handed it to the servant. I've been meaning to get this cleaned. Could you take care of that for me? Laszlo staggered back to his chair. The servant looked at the sword. Yes, Your Excellency. And I probably should also clean the section of carpet directly under me. That would be ideal, said Laszlo, as he settled his overstuffed posterior into his overstuffed chair. You may leave. By the time the E sound in the word leave left Laszlo's lascivious lips, the servant was out the door and halfway down the hallway, slicing a few other servants in two as he rushed out. <coughs> now alone, Laszlo smiled broadly. Then he smiled manly. Then he laughed. He guffawed. He chortled and giggled and snickered and chuckled and tittered and catchinated until he could catchinate no more. He wondered how many people would run to their dictionaries after that last sentence. The Minister of Official Information nervously peeked through the open door. Your greatness, he squeaked. Is everything all right? Laszlo looked at him with a smile. Does a bear do poopy in the woods? he answered. Chapter 18 The sun had been down for almost an hour. The team silently made their way from tree to tree, looking in all directions for their target through night vision goggles. Not a word was spoken. They knew what they were doing. They were the best trained men in the country for this mission. The leader crouched behind a fallen log. He held up his hand in a fist, and, as one, the other members of the team froze in position. He slowly scanned the meadow ahead. Nothing. He motioned for the team to circle the open area to the north. He knew they were close. So very close. The team fanned out and moved north. The leader alternated from looking ahead to checking the ground. He was a tracker. He knew the signs to look for. Even signs to smell for. After about fifteen minutes, he sniffed and again held up a fist. All stopped. He examined the ground. He saw subtle indentations, but to him these were like deep footprints in snow. He smiled. He held his hand up, palm down, and rotated his wrist two times, the signal to proceed, slowly. He duck-walked to a large tree and peeked around. Instantly his fist went up with one finger extended. The target had been located. Now the hard part of the mission. Observation. He must know what the target intended to do. The team crouched frozen for twenty minutes. Muscles ached, but nobody complained. Nobody moved. Sweat slowly slid down faces. Thirty minutes. Then it happened. The target moved next to a tree, and slowly, yes, yes, the leader signaled his men to fall back. Slowly, carefully, they moved backwards, keeping the target area in sight until they were a good fifty clicks away. Take five, men. You deserve it, 
said the leader as he pulled off his night vision goggles. All the men relaxed for the first time in hours. Give me the sat phone. I'll call this in. He pressed a series of buttons on the satellite phone and waited. Then, sir, mission accomplished. I have the information you need. It's confirmed. Bears do poopy in the woods. Chapter 19 Buck and Marcia were the only occupants of the sleek two-engine corporate jet, that is, except the pilot and co-pilot, who are rather essential, and a steward, who isn't essential, but is there to keep passengers from finding the good stuff that's hidden for the pilot only. Peanuts, said the steward. I'll have some, said Buck. The steward handed him a book entitled That Crazy Snoopy. And you, madam? I think I'll have a filet mignon, stuffed potato, and green beans, saucet style. Very good, madam, said the steward, and off he went. How did you rate such a fancy ride? asked Buck, part admiringly and part jealously. I'm with the investigators of international intelligence, she said. They know how to treat their agents. Buck sat sullenly and read his book. The handcuff that held the briefcase, that held the locked box, that held the sealed envelope, that held the final component of the doomsday device, was tight on his wrist. The flight was uneventful, with the exception of the live circus entertainment in lieu of a movie. The elephants were particularly impressive. Finally, the plane landed at a medium-sized airport, which is smaller than a large airport, and much smaller than an XXL airport, but somewhat larger than a petite airport. There was a limo waiting for the jet. Buck and Marcia stepped out of the plane and directly into the limo. Now this is service, Buck admitted. The limo pulled off the tarmac and drove down a small, quiet road in the early morning light. Buck attempted to make small talk. Well, how about that Billy Barty, huh? He was great in Time Bandits. And Hervé Villachet? <laughs> Love his accent. Deplane, deplane. <laughs> Marcia did her best to ignore him. She started by just staring out the window and ended up crawling under the seat into the trunk. Buck just followed her, thinking she just had time to spare. And he started to tire, but he didn't know Jack, and it made the lug feel like a nut. After about an hour, the limo stopped. The driver popped open the trunk, and our duo stepped out. They were in front of a deserted warehouse with a sign that said, Deserted Warehouse Development Corporation. If we build it, it's deserted. Buck's razor-sharp mind instantly made a string of connections, and he said, I get it. Time to spare. <laughs> then he looked at the deserted warehouse. Say, what are we doing here? Where's the general? Marsha led him to the door of the warehouse. He's inside. This is just a front for the I.I.I. Buck nodded and asked, what is it the back for? They entered the deserted warehouse. They walked down a corridor that looked amazingly like the corridor of a deserted warehouse. They went through another door into a big warehouse-type area that was completely deserted. Buck quipped, This is very impressive. If I didn't know better, I'd say, Well, you don't know better, so don't say anything. Marcia's voice was cold. To be honest, it had been cold all along, but now it was colder. Almost as cold as all the frozen desserts in the deserted warehouse. And something about the way she stood there told Buck that something was wrong. Perhaps it was her eyes. Maybe it was her posture. 
or it could have been the huge pistol she aimed at his forehead. "'What's the deal here?' asked Buck, noticing that the driver also was training a gun on him. The gun jerked left and right, then wagged its hammer. It wasn't very well trained. Marcia led Buck to a table with two chairs in the middle of the huge deserted room. "'Sit down,' she commanded. Buck sat. "'Stand up,' she said. Buck stood. "'Now sit in a chair this time,' she commanded. Buck couldn't decide which chair to sit in. He started to hum a tune and walked around the two chairs. Suddenly he stopped humming and jumped into the nearest chair. "'Ha!' he exulted. "'Give me the key,' said Marcia, holding out her free hand. "'What key?' asked Buck, sensing that nothing is free here, including her hand. "'The key to the handcuffs that hold the briefcase to your wrist,' she sneered. "'I don't have that key. I put it in an envelope to mail to myself.' "'Ha!' Buck said triumphantly. "'How could you mail it to yourself if you didn't know where you were going to be when you got back?' Marcia asked, her patience wearing thin. Buck flashed for a moment about how she would look if her dress was wearing as thin as her patience, then dismissed it. "'I didn't put an address on it until we arrived here, so I'd know where I was going to be when I received it.' Marcia's eyes squinted. "'So you haven't mailed it yet?' Buck grinned at her. "'How can I mail it when I don't know what address to put on it? <laughs> You're not very bright for a secret agent.' Marcia stepped up to Buck, reached into his inside jacket pocket, and pulled out an envelope. Buck said, "'See? It's all ready to mail. But since I'm here and the envelope is here, I guess I don't actually have to address it, do I? That'll teach you to try and outsmart me.' He looked at the driver. "'I save the cost of a stamp, too.' In the distance, a door opened. A shadow in a small rectangle of light showed that another person had entered the large room. Footsteps grew louder as the form approached. A lush voice reverberated through the cavernous room. <laughs> Who have we here? Marcia gestured towards Buck and replied with a sneer, Your courier, my liege. The figure stepped into the light. The light fell over. Ow! I burned my nose! the figure exclaimed. The driver darted over and set the light back up on its stand. My dramatic entrance is ruined, ruminated the figure. Let's do it again. From what point? asked Marcia. From when I come in through the door with loud footsteps. Are the loud footsteps ready? The sound effects man in the corner shouted. Reset and ready, my lord. Fine, fine. Let's just do this. He pitter-patted back to the door. Everybody ready? Everybody shouted, Ready! Okay, then. Action! A shadow in a small rectangle of light showed that another person had entered the large room. Footsteps grew louder as the form approached. A lush voice reverberated through the cavernous room. <laughs> Who have we here? Marcia gestured towards Buck and replied with a sneer, Your courier, my liege. Can you give me a little more sneer? he asked. What was wrong with that sneer? It wasn't very sneery, now was it? He replied with a sneer. Fine, I'll give you more sneer, whatever it takes to get through this. Good, we'll take it from Marcia's line. That's Marcia, C-I-A. Whatever. Action! Marcia gestured towards Buck and replied with a huge sneer. Your courier, my liege. 
Wow, said Buck admiringly. That was some sneer. Please be silent. It's time for the big reveal, Buck looked at the figure. You mean where we discover that you're actually Laszlo Sinobovich? Laszlo stood staring at Buck for a full minute. Let's just move on, shall we? He finally muttered. Marcia held the envelope up to Laszlo. The switch is in the briefcase, handcuffed to his wrist. The key is in this envelope. And the envelope is sealed, I see, observed Laszlo. Very observant. Then we should address envelope and send it to ourselves so we can remove the briefcase. Marcia pinched the top of her nose to ward off a growing headache. An excellent idea, Excellency, but perhaps it would save time if we just ripped it open. The briefcase? The envelope. Hmm. I can see the expediency in such an action. Open the envelope. Marcia, with a sigh of relief, opened the envelope. A small key fell out and tinkled onto the floor. I'm not cleaning that up, said Marcia. Laszlo turned to the driver. Get the mop, he exclaimed. Soon the tinkle was cleaned up and the key boiled. Satisfied that the key was now ick-free, Marcia handed it to Laszlo, who handed it to the driver, who handed it to Buck, who handed it to Marcia. The key went around the group several times before Marcia, at her breaking point, shouted, Just open the damned handcuff! Buck looked at Laszlo and said, Too bad. It was your turn next. Laszlo pouted. The key turned in the handcuff, and it dropped free. Excellent! Laszlo hissed. Buck stepped back from the briefcase and said to Laszlo, You should do something about that speech impediment. Insolent swine! Laszlo hissed. Oh, he admitted. Maybe I should, but right now, open the briefcase! I would... Buck replied, if I had the key. Marcia put her head in her hands. Not again. She replaced her head back on her neck. Where is key? Laszlo roared with a hiss. It's in a place where you'll never find it, Buck said with satisfaction. Stop listening to Rolling Stones and tell me where key is. Hiss, screamed Laszlo. You can't always get what you want, said Buck. Marcia stepped forward. The key is in his shirt pocket. Buck looked at Marcia with suspicion. What makes you say that? If you spent less time listening to Elvis singing Suspicion on your iPod, you might have remembered that you attached a large red cardboard tag to the briefcase key that hangs out of your shirt pocket, she said, snatching up the tag and the attached key. Don't be cruel, said Buck. From now on, we do this my way, said Marcia. Take off your clothes. Everybody looked at Marcia. Laszlo said, Really, there's a time and a place for keys, she said. There's bags within boxes within other things in this briefcase, and they're all going to need keys. We may as well find all the keys now. Laszlo looked at her admiringly. They taught you well in CIA. I'm not with the CIA. She's in denial, said Buck. I've never been to Egypt either, she snapped. And I mean, she really snapped. Take off your clothes now before I get violent. Buck took off his clothes. Laszlo took off his clothes. The driver took off his clothes. The sound man would have taken off his clothes, but he was on break. He had a strong union. 
Everybody but Buck can put their clothes back on, said Marcia. Although you, the driver, you can take your time putting yours back on. She and the driver exchanged winks. Then Tiddly's. There are my clothes, said Buck. But how will you know where the keys are? They may be hidden in secret folds or in seams. You'll never find all of them. Ha! Burn his clothes, said Marcia. Buck's clothes made a fine little bonfire, and s'mores were enjoyed by all. After the flames died down, the ashes were blown away, leaving a pile of silver keys. After about an hour of trial and error, the briefcase and all the interior boxes and bags were opened. The switch was not there. Where is Switch of Doom? Laszlo seethed. The briefcase was a red herring, said Buck. That's why it smelled so funny. I put the switch in a place you'll never think to look. A place so foreign to you that in a million years you'll never... Found it, said Marcia, as she pulled the switch from her purse. So that's where I put it, mumbled Buck. Finally, said Laszlo. Now, let's get started. Today is May 4th, Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you, said everybody in a monotone voice. Yes, continued Laszlo. And tomorrow is the day that I destroy the West, the day the United States of America crumbles before my eyes. <laughs> wow, said Buck. This could be the end of this chapter. Hmm? What? Oh, oh, we're done. You've been listening to The Devil's Pinata, a buckshot action thing book written and read by John Bell and copyright 2020 by John Bell Creative LLC. And yes, there's more next week. Be brave. You're listening to Friday Follies. Jokes, laughs, and guffaws to tickle your funny bone on the Mutual Audio Network. Join us tomorrow morning on Mutual for Saturday Story Circle. Bring the kids, your coloring books, and crayons and get the whole family into a great start to the day with audio cartoons. You can always subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed for every day of audio drama that fits your fancy. Or discover Saturday Story Circle in your favorite podcast players like Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or Spotify. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.